York Times. That is, they are powerful propaganda organs of the Republican Party. For our politics, this development in the media represents a structural change, a structural advantage for the GOP and conservatism, and, I believe, the greatest structural obstacle facing opponents of the right wing. I therefore think it is one of the most important political stories of the era. I have sought to tell this story in The Republican Noise Machine, Right-Wing Media and How It Corrupts Democracy. I know there is a Republican noise machine because I was once part of it. From the Washington Times to a stint as a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, the right's premier think tank, to a position as an investigative writer at the muckraking magazine The American Spectator, and as the author of a best-selling right-wing book, I forwarded the right-wing agenda not as an open political operative or advocate, but under the guise of journalism and punditry, fueled by huge sums of money from right-wing billionaires, foundations, and self-interested corporations. By the time I said goodbye to the right-wing in 1997, what was once a voice in the wilderness was drowning out competing voices across all media channels. The most influential political commentator in America, Rush Limbaugh, and his hundreds of imitators saturated every media market in the country, providing 22% of Americans, not only conservatives, but independent swing voters, with their primary source of news. In the 2000 presidential campaign, the Republican noise machine, which worked for years to convince Americans that the Clintons were criminally minded, used the same techniques of character assassination to turn the Democratic standard bearer, Al Gore, for many years seen as an overly earnest Boy Scout, into a liar. When Republican National Committee polling showed that the Republicans would lose the election to the Democrats on the issues, a skillful and sustained 18-month campaign by Republicans to portray the vice president as flawed and untrustworthy was adopted, the New York Times reported. Republicans accused Gore of saying things he never said, most infamously that he invented the Internet, a claim he never made that was first attributed to him in a GOP press release before it coursed through the media. Actually, Gore had said, during my service in the United States Congress, I took the initiative in creating the Internet, a claim that even former House Speaker Newt Gingrich verified as true. The well-orchestrated media cacophony had its intended effect. The election was far more competitive than it should have been, and indeed was decided before the Supreme Court stepped in because of negative voter perceptions of Gore's honesty and trustworthiness. While Bush shaded the truth and misstated facts throughout the campaign on everything from the size of Gore's federal spending proposals to his own record as governor of Texas, by substantial margins, voters thought Bush was more truthful than Gore. According to an ABC exit poll, of personal qualities that mattered most to voters, 24% ranked honest, trustworthy first, and they went for Bush over Gore by a margin of 80% to 15%. 74% of voters said, quote, Gore would say anything while 58% thought Bush would. Among white, college-educated male voters, Gore's untruthfulness was cited overwhelmingly as a reason not to vote for him, far more than any other reason. The Republican noise machine is primed to run the same campaign of personal vilification in the 2004 presidential election, no matter which Democrat wins nomination. An op-ed piece in the Washington Post by Charles Krauthammer pronounced former Vermont Governor Howard Dean the delusional Dean. Krauthammer's diagnosis rested on a transcript of a Dean appearance on MSNBC's Hardball with Chris Matthews. Through the use of ellipses, Krauthammer doctored the transcript to make his point. As Gore's experience demonstrated, 
Democrats ignore these attacks at their peril. Not only do such attacks confirm the preconceptions of Republicans, but they shape the thinking of undecided voters and even of Democrats. One of the most frightening experiences I have had in recent years in talking with rank-and-file Democrats is the extent to which they unconsciously internalize right-wing propaganda. To add insult to injury, too many Democrats have a tendency to blame the victims of these smears, their own leaders, rather than addressing the root of the problem. With the right-wing media now a seemingly permanent and defining feature of the media landscape, if Democrats cut through the propaganda and win back the White House in 2004, they still face the prospect of being brutally slammed and systematically slandered in such a way that will make governing exceedingly difficult. There should be no doubt that the right-wing media's wildings of 1993, which led to Clinton's impeachment four years later, will be replayed over and over again until its capacities to spread filth are somehow eradicated. Ironically, though not coincidentally, the radical transformation of the media has been obscured by conservative charges of liberal media bias that are believed by the vast majority of the public, including about half of Democrats. But the liberal media mantra aside, if one looks and listens closely to what the right wing says when it thinks others may not be paying attention, there should be no doubt that it has made potent political gains not despite the media, but through it. In a syndicated column titled, Culture War Signals. John Leo of U.S. News and World Report argued that a corner has been turned in the culture wars with the rise of a large crop of commentators the left has not been able to match and conservative gains in new media like the Fox News Channel. Conservative New York Times columnist David Brooks has written that the conservative media have cohered to form a dazzlingly efficient ideological delivery system that swamps liberal efforts to get their ideas out. According to Bill O'Reilly, for decades, liberals controlled the agenda on TV news. That's over. Commenting on the media while interviewing Ann Coulter about her book Treason, Liberal Treachery from the Cold War to the War on Terrorism, right-wing radio host Sean Hannity crowed, we've basically taken over. Coulter, who has made millions off the charge of liberal media bias while maintaining a career as perhaps the most biased right-wing voice in the media, laughed in agreement. A young writer for Rupert Murdoch's neoconservative weekly standard named Matt Labash, whom I hired into right-wing journalism at the American Spectator, was probably laughing too when he was interviewed by Columbia Journalism Review partner website journalismjobs.com. The interviewer asked, Why have conservative media outlets like the Weekly Standard and Fox News Channel become more popular in recent years? In his answer, Labash conceded that conservatives reject in their own media the standards of fairness, accuracy, and unbiased coverage that they demand from the liberal media. He unmasked the hypocrisy at the heart of these endeavors when he said, We've created this cottage industry in which it pays to be unobjective. It's a great way to have your cake and eat it too. Criticize other people for not being objective. Be as subjective as you want. It's a great little racket. The implications of the right-wing media incursion extend well beyond particular political outcomes to the heart of our democracy. Democracy depends on an informed citizenry. The conscious effort by the right-wing to misinform the American citizenry, to collapse the distinction between journalism and propaganda, is thus an assault on democracy itself. The problem is really not so much one of bias, to use the right's favorite terminology, as it is where bias leads. In the biased right-wing media, among biased right-wing commentators, and in a mainstream media susceptible to right-wing scripting, 
It leads to verifiable journalistic malpractice, to the publication of misinformation, and to ethical malfeasance. At a deeper level, the existence and influence of the right-wing media as presently constituted is an affront to logic, rationality, and the maintenance of a shared knowledge base from which political consensus and correct public policy choices can be forged. It is now possible to watch a lie move from a disreputable right-wing website onto the afternoon talk radio shows to several cable chat shows throughout the evening and into the next morning's Washington Post, all in 24 hours. This media food chain moves phony information and GOP talking points, manufactured by and for conservatives, often bought and paid for by conservative political interests, and disseminated through an unabashedly biased right-wing media apparatus that follows no rules or professional norms, into every family dining room, every workplace, and every Internet chat room in America. Equally troubling is that the cable and radio talkers who shape the national political conversation have the ability to censor news that does not serve the interests of the right wing. Every day, professional news organizations, primarily in the prestige print press, report facts across a broad range of subjects that are essential to an informed view of politics and policy. More often than not, these stories die on the page and never reach most Americans owing to right-wing command of the new media echo chamber. My view is that unchecked right-wing media power means that in the United States today, no issue can be honestly debated and no election can be fairly decided. If California voters recall their governor in the belief that the state budget deficit is four times higher than it actually is, if Americans think Saddam Hussein was behind the September 11th attacks before hearing any evidence, if 19% of the public thinks it is in the top 1% tax bracket, if Americans view criticism of the government's national security policies as tantamount to treason,